0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash OLLI.
1: Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Monday, December 4th. The county will soon vote on spending an additional $3 million to serve migrants. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. More people in the county are falling into homelessness than becoming housed. That's according to a new report from the Regional Task Force on Homelessness. Between September 2022 and October of this year, an average of 10 people found housing for every 16 people who became unhoused for the first time. That's slightly up from the previous year's report. The CEO with the task force says, most people exited homelessness by renting, either with or without a subsidy, rather than through permanent supportive housing. Five orange trees with citrus greening disease have recently been detected in Valley Center. The Asian citrus psyllid is the pest that spreads the bacterial disease. The county says it's a major threat to its citrus crop. Citrus brings over $100 million into the county each year. Valley Center is the third area in the county to have had a positive detection, joining Oceanside and Rancho Bernardo in quarantine. The San Diego City Council will be choosing a council president today, and current council president, Sean Ila Rivera, is seeking another year in the position. Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the council president runs council meetings, gives out committee assignments, and controls the council's agendas. Past
2: council presidents have taken a backseat, letting the mayor's office lead on policymaking. But for the past two years, council president Sean Ila Rivera has pursued his own progressive agenda on issues like tenant protections and affordable housing. He's also sought to push Mayor Todd Gloria to the left on those matters.
1: No other council members have declared that they want to take over the council presidency. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.
1: San Diego County Supervisors tomorrow will consider whether to provide an additional $3 million for migrants. Border Reporter Gustavo Solis has details.
0: County officials say Customs and Border Protection has released 42,000 migrants into San Diego County since September, and the numbers show no signs of slowing down. This is prompting the County Board of Supervisors to consider providing more funding to serve migrants. County supervisors already allocated $3 million to fund a migrant welcome center in October. That money was awarded to the South Bay nonprofit SBCS. The center offers free food and access to Wi-Fi, phone chargers, and volunteers who can help migrants with travel arrangements. Most people at the center don't stay long in San Diego. They travel elsewhere to connect with sponsors, friends, and relatives. The $3 million was originally meant to last three months. However, the welcome Center is in danger of running out of money as soon as next week. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News.
1: Big commercial banks have received a bad rep in recent years for excessive overdraft fees. But turns out, it's big business for credit unions too. Investigative reporter Scott Rod is here with me to discuss his recent reporting on this. Hi, Scott. Hi, Debbie. So tell us what you discovered about overdraft fees at credit unions, both statewide and here in San Diego. Well, first I'll give a little
2: background. Big banks have been required to disclose their revenue from overdraft fees for years, and they've taken in billions of dollars every year, uh, sometimes upwards of 10 or 11 billion dollars every year. And there's been some recent scrutiny on this. I spoke to Aaron Klein. He's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, and here's what he had to say. The only people who pay overdrafts are those who run out of money. As the amount of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck has risen, financial institutions have figured out ways and tricks to increase overdraft use, which pad their profit. So while banks have had to disclose this information, credit unions actually haven't had to disclose it. But that actually has changed just in the last year here in California due to a law that was passed last year. And Financial watchdogs said that this is helping to shed some light onto how much money overall is brought in through overdraft fees at financial institutions. And this new law showed that credit unions here in California brought in over $250 million in overdraft fees just last year. By comparison, state chartered banks brought in about $73 million.
1: How vital was this overdraft revenue stream for credit unions?
2: It was significant for many of them. You know, we found that over a dozen credit unions relied on this revenue for more than half of their net income. For some, it made up more than 100 percent of their net income, which means they easily could have lost money last year without revenue from overdraft fees.
1: You also dug into the financial records of these credit unions and looked at salary for executives. What did you find?
2: That's right. We reviewed financial records for more than half a dozen credit unions here in San Diego. And it's worth noting, we found that San Diego area credit unions brought in over $36 million last year in overdraft fees. And we found that at several credit unions, executive compensation ballooned. The most glaring example was at San Diego County Credit Union. Their CEO, Teresa Campbell, had a total compensation package of nearly $12 million, according to their most recent financial records. And what was interesting is that her compensation had increased roughly $10 million over the last decade. So really a sharp rise. There were also other executives who saw their compensation double or triple in recent years. Klein from the Brookings Institution took exception to credit unions spending so much money on executive pay as opposed to returning it to members. That's a type of reverse Robin Hood. And that is not really in fulfilling with the spirit or mission of serving low income people.
1: So we're talking about millions of dollars in revenue from overdraft fees and big pay increases for some executives at these credit unions. What did customers have to say about all this?
2: Well, I spoke to several customers who expressed both frustration as well as surprise by just how much money these credit unions were bringing in in overdraft fees. Uh, One customer, Curtis Fitzgerald, who lives in Escondido, said his 20-year-old son is a member at San Diego County Credit Union, and the credit union had automatically enrolled his son in their overdraft program. And unbeknownst to his son, he was racking up these overdraft fees, which Each one tallies over $30, and that adds up quickly. And Fitzgerald felt that this was kind of taking advantage of a young customer who didn't have a lot of money, who was just starting out. And then when Fitzgerald found out just how much money San Diego County Credit Union's CEO is making, he was taken aback.
3: Well, I I feel it's wrong. I feel like it's um, something I would expect from a bank, not a credit union. It seems like they're more about making money for themselves.
2: And I'll note San Diego County Credit Union took in $18 million last year in overdraft revenue. And more broadly, this was something that we heard from multiple customers that, you know, relying on overdraft fees as a source of revenue. It seemed to conflict with credit unions, friendly neighbor image and ethos.
1: And what did the credit unions have to say about this?
2: Well, we reached out to over half a dozen credit unions in the San Diego area, as well as the State Credit Union Trade Association. Only one of them responded and agreed to an interview, which was Frontwave Credit Union, which is based up in Oceanside. They brought in nearly $8 million in overdraft fees last year, which was over 100% of its net income. Frontwave CEO Bill Burney told me that their overdraft policy isn't predatory. In fact, he framed it as a kind of benefit where some of their members rely on it as a kind of bridge at the end of the month to pay for essential things like groceries and gas.
3: It's a service to them. They know how it works. They opted into the service. In my perspective, it should be the consumer's choice of how they choose to manage their money
2: Now, going back to executive pay, we found Bernie's compensation had tripled over the last several years. Now, he claimed that there was a clerical error, or there appeared to be a clerical error, on their IRS statements, which conflated his base pay and retirement pay. And he said that explained why his compensation appeared to increase so significantly. Now, taking a step back, it's worth noting that big banks have reformed their overdraft policies in recent years due to pressure from politicians and from the public and financial watchdogs. Some have softened their policies. Some have created grace periods for repayment. Others have just done away with overdraft fees altogether. Now, it's unclear if credit unions plan to do the same anytime soon.
1: Scott, thank you for all this information and for joining me on the San Diego News Now podcast. No problem, Debbie. Thank you. Southern San Diego County may get a break from the persistent cross-border sewage flows that have fouled the ocean and endangered public health. Environment reporter Eric Anderson says a Mexican pipe repair could get credit.
3: Federal officials say they're optimistic a pipeline repair on the Mexican side of the border will significantly reduce the amount of tainted water flowing into the United States. The 42-inch pipe will carry dirty water away from the border and funnel it south of Tijuana. The International Boundary and Water Commission's Maria Alena Geiner says officials are cautious.
1: We aren't real excited about it and not doing a lot of hoopla over it because we want to make sure it's working um, because they actually built a brand new pipe and they did it in record
3: time. Crews pressure tested the line over the weekend and should know more about its performance. Billions of gallons of contaminated flows have crossed the border since the summer of 2022 when the previous pipe broke. Eric Anderson, KPBS News.
1: In other environment-related news, a report out last week for the U.S. Department of Energy outlines what a rich source of lithium Imperial Valley is. SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge got reaction from a company that's getting ready to mine it.
2: The report by the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab said there's an estimated 18 million metric tons of raw lithium in the brine that flows under the surface of Imperial County, enough to make 375 million electric car batteries. Eric Spomer is CEO of San Diego-based Energy Source Minerals which plans to build a billion-dollar plant to extract the lithium. He says he wasn't surprised by the report, and he believed it to be accurate, though it didn't consider the challenge of extracting the lithium.
0: I do think there's a lot of lithium there. I think the possibility that it's actually all recoverable is a little bit, Maybe aggressive.
2: He says when mining begins, the U.S. needs to have facilities where they can turn the lithium into batteries. He says the Inflation Reduction Act has incentivized the building of those battery plants. Thomas
1: Fudge, KPBS News. Coming up, San Diego's rising rents have scattered LGBTQ plus substance recovery groups.
3: They've all dispersed and they've gone away. And those anchors for the newcomers... And each other as old timers are gone, and it—I it, was like, "Wow, I couldn't." It was—it was shocking.
1: We'll have that story and more just after the break.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.
1: County leaders could delay implementation of a new law that expands who can be involuntarily held on what is known as 5150. Health reporter Matt Hoffman says, Supervisors are voting on it tomorrow. The new law means more people can be involuntarily treated or put into a conservatorship.
0: Senate Bill 43 expands the definition of gravely disabled to include those with a severe substance abuse disorder who cannot provide for their own safety or medical care. That expansion is set to take effect in January, but counties can opt to delay implementation, something County Board Chair Nora Vargas wants to push to 2025. Local hospitals support the delay. Chris Van Gorder is
2: CEO of Scripps Health. The year really gives this county time to plan and prepare and coordinate so that we all know what we're going to be doing and how we're going to manage this. Remember, this law is supposed to go into effect in less than a month, um, and nobody's had any discussion on coordination and how we're going to do that. Van Gorder says hospital emergency rooms
0: are already extremely busy. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria says there's too much at stake to delay implementation for a year, and any change at this point is better than the status quo. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
1: San Diego's rising rents have left LGBTQ plus substance abuse recovery groups searching for a permanent home. Reporter Katie Heisen spoke with members about why it's needed.
4: Music from Auntie Helen's thrift store in North Park filters into the back room where substance use recovery groups meet. Hello.
1: Hello. Yeah. My sober date's 8-2301. And
4: Most are former members of the Live and Let Live Alano Club Recovery Center in Hillcrest, a prominent LGBTQ neighborhood. It was
3: safe. I was able to be myself.
4: That's Michael Hoover.
3: I was able to um, speak freely and openly about my addiction problems and, and the fact that I am a gay person.
4: He says that often wasn't the case in heteronormative recovery groups elsewhere in the city. Another former member, Alexis Gabriel, echoed this.
0: Sometimes when we walk the streets of San Diego, we do see the people on the side of the street that are down and out. I was one of those people. She found Live and Let Live a few years ago. I was able to find a safe place when I was feeling uncomfortable,
4: and by doing so, I was able to work on myself very deep. I call it my 911. A lifesaver. Many former members say the same, that Live and Let Live was often the thing standing between them and using again. It was open all day with a wide range of recovery meetings, not just for substance use. Volunteers were always around to talk. Wearing a sparkling gown and crown, Alexis Gabrielle tells me she learned a vital lesson there.
0: That we can rise from where we were before without shame and hold our heads high, but the doors closed.
4: Live and Let Live didn't own the building. San Diego rents began to skyrocket, compounding already existing financial trouble. After nearly four decades, they closed last fall. The dozens of support groups scattered throughout the city to locations that weren't as well-suited. Many say downtown locations trigger their urge to use again. Churches can carry baggage. And while Live and Let Live was nearby, many now have to take buses or walk long distances to get to meetings. It doesn't always feel safe, they say, especially with recent anti lgbtq legislation across the country. Hoover again.
3: I'm personally tired of always having to look behind my back, over my shoulder, on buses and walking.
4: He says meeting attendance dropped sharply after Live and Let Live closed.
3: They've all dispersed and they've gone away. I was like, wow, I
4: couldn't, <laughs> it was, it was shocking. Auntie Helen stepped up. It used to be a laundry service for people living with HIV AIDS at a time when many refused to even touch their clothing. It's offered support to San Diego's LGBTQ people for decades. Management allowed some of the displaced recovery groups to clear out the back room and move in 50 chairs and a podium. But the space closes as soon as meetings end. It doesn't offer the same anytime safety net of a recovery center. That's why Heather Paito is now searching for a permanent home. I'm actually one of the unusual people who doesn't do the pronoun thing because I did 20 years in the military where I actually had to use they, them, their, and things to kind of disguise my relationship. So it's sort of like an uncomfortable thing. Pato didn't feel safe to enter San Diego's LGBT center, but Peyto did feel safe to attend Live and Let Live, where the association with LGBTQ plus people was maybe less obvious to outside observers. There, Peyto could be rigorously honest, one of the core tenets of recovery. Pato and Pato's partner launched a nonprofit and are now hoping to own a building to replace that lost space. They plan to name it the Lambda Uptown Alano Club. Lambda as a nod to the symbol of gay and lesbian rights, Uptown as the intended location. With all the high rises that have been built in the Hillcrest area, a lot of the LGBT community has migrated more toward North Park. They say they've asked local leaders about unused government buildings, but haven't heard back. When I spoke with them, they didn't know that Auntie Helen's is about to close, too, on December 31st. The owner told me after 36 years, the rent is more than they can afford. He says he negotiated for the groups to have continued use of the back room. Katie Hyson, KPBS News.
1: That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Join us again tomorrow for the day's top stories. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Monday.